We are going to finish up the book of Jonah today. Jonah chapter 4 is where we're at. And I wish I could say that the book of Jonah is going to end well. Um, As we looked at last week, uh, Jonah went into the city and gave his message. The city repented and we see an entire group of people turn back to the Lord and begin to want to serve Him. But once again, uh, in Jonah chapter 4, we're going to see a a very hard-hearted servant of God that is unhappy. Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you again for this opportunity to hear your truth. Lord, I pray today that we would not be like Jonah. Lord, that we would be able to see the blessings and the miracles around us and thank you for them, even when they're not happening to us. Lord, I know that I've not always been that way, and I'm sorry. God, please, change this in me. Change this in us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jonah has an incredibly hard heart here. He hated the city so much that he couldn't see the miracle that God was doing. Now I understand that Syria was ruling over Israel at this time and they'd done horrible things to them. And I also understand that all this is happening because of Israel's repeated neglect of God. This goes back to, uh, all the way back with the book of Judges, the book of Joshua, Moses, Exodus, all of those is where this all starts. 
God was punishing Israel for their willful idolatry and disobedience to God's command. And Syria was the tool for that purpose. Now imagine, I was at the shop the other day, uh, Malachi was working on a tire and, and he was trying to balance it and he couldn't get the wheel weight pounded on the wheel. And it was a small wheel weight, I understand, but he was very afraid he was going to hit his thumb. But imagine if he had hit his thumb and then got mad at the hammer for hitting his thumb. That's what Jonah's doing here. Jonah's getting mad at the tool that God is using to correct Israel. Except that those tools are people with souls. He also has a very obvious aversion to doing what God commands him to do. In fact, this reveals that the only reason that Jonah went to Nineveh is because he was felt like he was forced to do so by God. He's that little kid that is only walking because you've got a hold of him and you're pulling him along. We saw a couple of those at Menards last yesterday. Uh, not wanting to be in the cart screaming and kicking because they weren't going where they wanted to go but going where the parents wanted them to go but Jonah prays again and again this prayer is a little bit disturbing for only the second time in this book Jonah is seeking God's face but not to give him glory or bless him for the miracle that's being performed not to thank Him for bringing Him back from hell, but instead to question God's decision and again wish for His own death. Again, Jonah is looking for the easy way out. He tried this once before when he had the sailors throw him overboard. But then when it came to it and he was looking at the gates of hell, when he was in hell, he begged God to save him. I don't know why he thinks this would be any different. And when God did save him, Jonah didn't offer any thanksgiving. He didn't sacrifice. He didn't even acknowledge God. He just simply got up and went where God told him to go. And now he's begging to be destroyed simply because he doesn't want to see Nineveh spared. And we talked about this a little bit this morning and a little bit again last night, or last Sunday night, with the Jews and the, the man that had picked up his bed and was walking. But here is a follower of God who claims to know God, who's disgusted at God's work and God's character. To Jonah, the God of creation is simply a God of convenience. You know, I think I've told you all this part of my, my story before, but when I was a very young man, um, I used to go to one of the churches here in town. I'd go with my grandmother and my great-grandmother. And, and I always thought it was odd that on Sunday morning, they would the people in the 
congregation would look at me and, and just have that look of disgust. And as I got older, I realized that it was because of what I'd been doing the night before. Now you have to remember, I'm Abraham's age. I was doing what my parents wanted me to do. Well, what one of my parents wanted me to do. And as I looked at this and I understood that I was being obedient and I was doing what I was told to do by my parent, they're looking at me in disgust because of where I was. And the only reason they know that is because they were there with me. Talk about being a hypocrite. This is Jonah. Jonah claims to be a man of God. He claims to be a prophet of God to bring God's word to the people. And when he does and God works, he's disgusted and disturbed. How often does that happen in our lives? I wish I could say it's never happened to me. But I can count time and time again where I've been disgusted jealous, covetous because God is working in somebody else's life and he's not working in ours out of the corner of my eye I can see this that truck and I have tried so many times to kill that truck I've tried to blow it up I've tried to destroy it so that God would give me a new one when we were in Texas uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area we were helping, there was a family there that was helping us, uh, that we were helping and was helping us. Uh, great family, great servants of God. I hope one day they'll be here to help us build our building. But I watched in the summer that we were in Texas, I watched God work in their lives. And they went to a missions conference and, and they had a missionary that was going, coming off of deputation. He'd raised all his support. He was getting ready to go onto the field and and he knew that this very large family uh, didn't have a place to stay while they were on the road. They were missionary builders like us. They were full-time on the road, but uh, they didn't have an RV. They didn't have a fifth wheel. They had a place. Uh, the churches would have to put them in a house or put them in a prophet's chambers. While we were in Texas, they had to, the church that had us there rented a house for them that was an hour away so that they could all fit and stay in and then... Brother CJ would drive an hour one way just to get to the, the project. So while they were there, uh, they had gone to this missions conference and the missionary had grabbed Brother CJ and pulled him aside. He said, Brother, I really feel like God is leading me to give you our RV. Now, you have to understand, uh, this is a family of eight, six kids, the oldest was almost 18. The youngest was three, four, three or four. Um, Brother CJ is not a small man. And then Miss Leanne. Not every RV is going to fit them. And the RV that this man wanted to give them was one the size of Brother Jesse and Miss Ashley's. Uh, very, very small. That was really... Uh, meant for him and his wife, and I think they had two dogs that they tra that traveled with them. He said, so the missionary is telling Brother CJ, I, I think the Lord is leading me to give you this RV. And Brother CJ is like, okay. 
And in his head, he's thinking it's not going to work. And the missionary said, look, I understand it's not going to fit your family. So what we're going to do is we're going to sell it and we'll give you the money before we go on, before we leave and head to the field. So you know how it is. Sometimes with Christians, we say we're going to pray for something and we pray for it once and then we forget. Or we say we're going to do something and months go by and then we forget. And it doesn't happen. So Brother CJ took it with a grain of salt. And while we were in uh, Texas, he had gone back for, uh, to visit his family in Alabama, uh, his home church for, uh, I don't remember. Anyway, and they were coming back. And while he was there, he got, a, well, he got a call from the missionary saying, I have a check for you. We sold the RV. And Brother CJ's thinking, you know, five or $6,000, maybe something like that. It was $21,000. So Brother CJ started looking and found an RV in Houston that would work for their family. They went and looked at it. The family went and stayed at it over the weekend. And he called me and he said, Brother, I think we're going to buy this RV. And I'd like to get it back to, to Dallas. How do I do that? I don't have a truck. I got a 15-passenger van and that's it. I said, well, I'll come down and get it. So drove down. Picked it up, brought it back, helped him get it set up. They moved in. Huge blessing. We were super excited for him. Um, just really happy. And then the project ended, and we had to go to Louisiana. So he was trying to find a towing company that would tow it to Louisiana for him. It wasn't going to work out. So we, I towed it to Louisiana, came back, hooked up to our trailer, went to West Virginia, had this horrible trip to West Virginia that was a huge blessing, but it was a horrible trip. And it was, what, three? Three weeks that we were apart? Roughly? Um, it, it was about three weeks because we went to West Virginia for a week, came back, it was two and a half weeks. She had a missions conference in Texas that she was going to, or a ladies conference in Texas that she was going to go to for a week, and then... Uh, we were going to go to Louisiana. So by the time we got to Louisiana, we'd been gone about three weeks. And in that three weeks, as we pulled into the parking lot in Louisiana, Brother CJ had been given a new truck. Not brand new, but a truck. And uh, I can just remember in my heart thinking how frustrated I was that uh, in the space of four months, they'd gotten their RV, they'd gotten a new truck. You know, all this stuff was, was going right for them and how everything was going wrong for us. We were lacking on support. We were struggling. And I'd completely forgotten about all the blessings that happened in West Virginia. Now, they weren't huge. They were huge to us but I'd completely forgotten about them. I got bitter. And I couldn't be happy for a man that God was working in their lives and providing for them. And I couldn't see it in my own life. Jonah's still doing the same thing. Now Jonah goes on in verse number two. He says, and, I, and when he prayed unto the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew 
that Thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest Thee of the evil. Jonah says he knew that God was gracious and merciful and slow to anger, full of great kindness and that He abhorred evil. evil. And all of these attributes are accurate attributes of God. These are qualities that He blesses us with daily. But this, however, is not the God that Jonah wants or wants to serve. The context of this is Jonah being negative, saying, I knew you were going to do this. This is why I ran away. Jonah, Jonah is looking for a vengeful God. He's looking for a prideful God. For a God who destroys. He wants a God with a heart that's as cold and hard as his own. In short, Jonah wants to serve Satan. How often do we try to put God in our own little box? We, we want Him to bless us and we want Him to provide for us. But we don't want to pay with the hurt and the struggle. We don't want to work for it. We just want Him to give it to us. But God has one final lesson for Jonah. In verse number 4, He says, Then the Lord said, Doest thou well to be angry? God's next words to Jonah were not a command, but they were rather a question. Again, we've talked about this before. Jesus and God have this way of getting to the heart of the matter by simply asking a question. Instead of them pointing their finger and and saying, you've done this, they're saying, are you where you're supposed to be? But you'll notice that Jonah doesn't answer. Jonah instead moves to the east side of the city and prepares a booth, a a small shelter for him to sit under to see if the city will be destroyed. He's still hoping that God will choose to destroy this city. I'm not exactly sure what's going on because God has already spared the city. God has already said He's not going to destroy it. They've already repented. They've turned. They're still sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So what's Jonah waiting for? It's not like Jonah's going to change God's mind by pouting about it. But oh, how we try. When something doesn't go our way, when something's hard, Man, we clam up. We get frustrated. And we pout. I can't do it. It's too hard. I don't understand. That's a lie. All of this is us just hoping that somebody will take pity on us and do it for us. 
see it a lot. I see it a lot in me. I see it a lot in people around me. But God isn't going to let Jonah get away with this. He's just beginning his lesson with Jonah. So, God decides to prepare a gourd. Apparently the booth that Jonah had made was not going to protect him from the heat. So God raises up a gourd to shadow Jonah. Now, understand that this isn't just any gourd. If you were to take this gourd to the state fair or the county fair, it would win a blue ribbon every time. God grew it in one day and it was large enough to provide full shade for Jonah all day. Now, I keep looking out here. There's people out by, behind this window and a truck that's about like mine. But now I'm looking at this tree in our backyard. This big tree that my wife loves so much that all of our lawn furniture is sitting underneath. Provides a lot of shade. But it doesn't provide shade all day. That's a big tree. This gourd shaded Jonah all day kept him cool and comfortable while he was pouting. But that was just the bait on the hook. God also prepared a a worm that would destroy that gourd overnight so that it withered and offered no protection the next day. And then God caused the vehement east wind to blow and this wasn't the nice cool breeze that we're going to experience probably this afternoon this was a wind this was a desert wind this brought heat and the sun beat down on Jonah's head to the point where he fainted and again Jonah wishes that he was dead. It's better for me to die than to live. Now this isn't Paul saying that it's better for him to perish wishing that he could sacrifice himself so that his brethren could be saved this is a pitiful man at the end of his rope just wishing that it would be over and God again asks the question Doest thou well? Doest thou well to be angry? Except this time he adds for the gourd. And Jonah decides he's going to answer. So often when we're pushed to the end, we lash out in frustration and anger. And Jonah's no different. He says yes. I do well to be angry for the gourd, even unto death. 
Jonah had more pity on an inanimate object than on hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. So it's time for God to finish his lesson. He points out Jonah's folly in having pity on a gourd that he didn't labor for, that he didn't plant, that he didn't water, that he didn't cause to grow, that doesn't have a soul, that doesn't have a heart, that doesn't have a spirit. And yet, the 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from their right aren't worth Jonah's pity. People that God grew from the womb that He created, that He numbered the hairs on their head don't deserve Jonah's pity. People with souls and spirits who've now chosen to worship God. Oh, Christian, let us not be Jonah. Let us not neglect to see and rejoice in every miracle that God performs. No matter who He performs it for. We're going to struggle as we meet people, as we are out witnessing for God. We're going to struggle with not wanting to speak to people because of how they look because of what they're wearing we saw a vehicle yesterday at Menards and uh, it had a bunch of very interesting anti-God stuff on it I wish I could say exactly how I would react if that person was standing next to their vehicle when I walked out but I can't because they weren't there I will say I would struggle. I would struggle with anger. I would struggle with frustration. I would struggle with keeping my cool to the point of being able to actually witness. There are people all around us that are living in sin, dying and going to hell, and we can't afford to pick and choose who we want to talk to. We notice that this is where Jonah's story ends. There's no record of repentance from Jonah. There's no record of Jonah after this point at all, except for the reference of Christ to Jonah, linking Jonah's time in the whale's belly to his time in the earth. Now, many believe that Jonah wrote this book. So that he obviously was alive after this point. It doesn't say that God killed him. But whether he was alive or not. It doesn't ever say that he does anything good for God again. It doesn't ever say that he speaks God's word as a prophet again. We may never know what happened to Jonah after this. But I hope that through this study of this short book, we have learned a little bit about obedience from Jonah's life. 
Next week, we are going to continue our study in Lessons in Obedience. We're going to go to the book of Ruth. And we're going to see a stark contrast to the life of Jonah. We're going to see someone who, again, should have nothing to do with God or God's people who chooses to obey and is blessed beyond belief.